tonight, if you would, please take your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Now let's go ahead and make each other a promise tonight. Let's promise to have fun. Because when we come to church, it ought not be out of ritual, it ought not be out of scheduled event, but really it ought to be out of excitement and out of what the Lord can bring to us from His Word this evening. And, and please, uh, let me just encourage you, let's come to church with some amount of thrill and joy. Uh, too many people around this world have to sneak into classrooms undercover for us as Americans to come and just kind of go through the motions. Uh, too many people have to have underground churches for that. The Lord's blessed us to live in a free country and a great land that allows us to meet tonight. And so let's please promise one another that we'll have fun. Okay? Luke chapter 11, we continue our series as we have been in the past few, uh, past few weeks. Uh, we're tonight going to be discussing when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. Now, before we get into this, I just want to make very clear, sometimes when we hear the word Pharisees and the word, uh, and especially involving this passage and the parallel passage in Matthew, we, we almost view it as if Christ was very harsh with the Pharisees. But when I read it and I've reread it and I've reread it, I don't believe he was harsh. I believe he was gracious. For it was the same amount of love it took for Jesus to save Nicodemus as it was the sinful woman. And so why would Jesus be extremely harsh with a group that was just as sinful as the others? He looks at these Pharisees and with gracious words, I believe our, our Lord always spoke with gracious words. And I believe tonight when we read it, let us view it through the, the goggles of graciousness and not condemnation, which is often how we read these passages. So right here in Luke chapter 11, we start in verse 37. The Bible says, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto ye Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask tonight that you please be with us in the, the brief time that we have together. Lord, please, may if our minds are wondering or focused on other items throughout what's going to happen next week or even this evening, Lord, may we fasten our attention and focus on what the Word of God has for us. Lord, as I've already asked, your Spirit is the one in charge tonight. Lord, I pray that He would direct me and lead me but that he would also work in the hearts of every believer in this room. Lord, I thank you for helping me, and I pray this in faith, uh, in your son's precious name. Amen. 
Now, I remember when I was a little younger, I brought home a report card from a class. And when I was very young, uh, like kindergarten age, when I was still taking naps, I was doing pretty good in school academically. I was making straight A's and B's. I guess recess was the B. I don't know, maybe social, uh, social skills. I always struggled not talking in class, and so I would always bring home red dots when the teacher was wanting me to have green dots. So I got into some trouble like that, but when I was much younger, I made very good grades. I remember the very first C that I brought home to my dad, and this was a big deal. I mean, I was, I was probably in fifth grade. I don't know what we were studying, probably, I don't know, you know, little bitty history class or something, and and, and really, I should have excelled more than that. Uh, I just did not apply myself, and my parents knew that's why I had done it, and so I brought home a C. And I remember that night, I remember exactly the way the furniture was set up in our living room. Uh, it, it was different than it is now. I remember the exact same chair and where it was uh, placed that my dad sat in. I remember where my mom was, and I remember this discussion that began to take place because we used to have, a, have to get our report card signed. And I don't even really think this was a report card. I think it was a progress report just to let them know how poorly I was doing in progress. And so and I, I, we had to get these signed and turned back in to the teachers just to let them know that our parents saw it. Well, I remember that night that my dad did not like the fact that I had brought home a C. And it was my very first C to ever bring home. And I remember he grabbed me by the right arm, and he began to spank me, no doubt harder than he'd ever spanked me before. My dad, in my entire life, maybe spanked me uh, five times. I mean, he very rarely spanked me. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, beat me terribly, so uh, <laughs> that, that one, uh, we still have the paddle that my mother used. I pulled it out the other day. I was like, doesn't this look like a torture device? This is not right. But this specific night, I guess my sea warranted dad and his punishment. And I remember him having me by my right arm, and he had uh, his belt that he allowed me to choose, which I chose the thin dress belt, and he rechose the thick cowboy belt that held his revolver. <laughs> and I remember he took that belt, and he began to spank me, and six times he spanked me. But between every spanking, he began to tell me something. And I remember in the process of this, he began to say words like, I'm very disappointed in you. He began to tell me how I should have done much better. And, and, and honestly, looking back on that, I really don't remember the pain of the spanking. I remember the verbal words that were coming out of my dad's mouth and, and really how it struck me how I disappointed my dad and I disappointed my mom. And, you know, I got spankings often. That wasn't that big of a deal. But it was different being told that I had done wrong as opposed to just getting beaten terribly. Tonight, if you will, allow me, let us, with that in mind, look to, that's what Jesus is doing. To these Pharisees, he's not coming in with a lash and he's not coming in with some great uh, pain or some torture he's going to put them through. But with the words of his mouth, he begins to tell them where they have veered off course. He begins to tell them where they've gone wrong. And with all their tradition, with all their rituals, the place that they've messed up was that they just simply had vanished away and aborted the love 
that was involved in the religion of Christianity. And so tonight, please, let's take a look at five focuses that we are to avoid. Five focuses that we are to avoid. I see, first of all, how the Pharisees had a focus on ordered rituals. And see here in verse 38, in verse 38, the Bible tells us uh, about the ordered rituals that these people have. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, as we take a look at this, we know that several times the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with them or to, uh, they would often go to where Jesus was doing miracles. And many times they would go with some, somewhat of a negative attitude looking to condemn our Lord or to trap our Lord into some situation. But uh, we also know that in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came with a sincere heart, did he not? He came to the Lord and he said, Lord, what is all this about being born again? I don't understand it. Can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And so not all Pharisees were necessarily terrible people. That, that's often our mindset. And I do not have enough scripture tonight to really make a judgment as to whether the man inviting Jesus to dinner was sincerely seeking the Lord or whether he was trying to trap him. But I know that as the dinner ensued, uh, everybody came in and they all began to wash themselves and they all began to take care of what traditionally everybody would do. But our Lord bypassed the washing and went straight to dinner. Now this to this Pharisee was a very, a very bad thing that the Lord had done because to this man, washing before supper was just as important as the priest washing. I want you to notice three things about these ordered rituals that uh, that we need to look at tonight. First of all, notice that there was a law given by God to wash. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, God gave rules and, and restrictions, and especially when it involved Moses and what we call the Mosaic Law. We know that in Exodus 34, verse 28, God gave the Ten Commandments. And we all remember that, how God gave those Ten Commandments to Moses, and he would take them to the nation of Israel, and he would deliver them to them. We also know that in Exodus 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24, God gives Israel a sort of guideline, if you will. Now, it's very uh, important for you to note tonight that the law was never meant to be maintained or kept by man. For it was impossible for man in their flesh to keep the law. The Bible tells us in Romans that the law was simply a schoolmaster that brought us to the need of salvation. Uh, the Bible says that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. There's no way that you or I could ever, uh, uh, within our own abilities, maintain or keep the law. But these Pharisees tried. I want you to note that even ceremonial washing was in the law. You see, there was the washing of the priests before they began to serve, and that's in Exodus 29, verse 4. There was the washing of the priests before they were to offer sacrifice, and that was in Exodus chapter 40, verse 30. There was the washing of the sacrifice, and that's in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9. And there was also a, 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 a fact that you ought to wash yourself after handling a dead body. Now, all of these were given to 
the Israelites that they were to maintain this law, that they were to keep the law. And if at any time one of these things happened, they were to wash themselves. But at no point was there ever given in the Mosaic Law a time where men were supposed to wash themselves before they died. But this began to get passed down. And over time, from father to son, and from son to uh, a, a grandchild, what happened is they all began to realize the importance of washing. And really, it's good to know that washing's a good thing. I mean, washing signified a cleansing before the Lord. It signified, especially for the priests going in to offer sacrifice, it signified a cleansing or a purification. And so washing in and of itself was not wrong. In fact, it was even given by God, but this was not God's law. This was man's tradition. You see, these Pharisees, they began to count men's tradition as God's law. Anytime tradition becomes law or something that we begin to judge others by or uh, 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 throw it on other people's backs, we have erred greatly. For the only thing that we are to ask men to abide by is the policies and the, the guidelines in this book. Uh, we ought not go around telling them things that are our preferences and things that we enjoy and, and we think that would be better uh, uh, you know, necessary. I don't think it's a wise idea to go down to Cleburne after dark, but uh, I would never uh, throw that onto you. You know, you're not a good Christian if you go down to Cleburne after dark. I don't think it'd be a good idea to run up to Fort Worth and some of the neighborhoods where even the police don't go at night, and you go out there and say, hey, does anybody want to buy some soda pop? I don't think that'd be wise. But anytime your preference gets elevated to the point of God's law, you're in the wrong. And right here, Jesus was brokenhearted for this man. But can I ask you, why would anybody add to God's law? I mean, is anybody in this room doing such a good job at keeping what you have that you need to add something else so you can break it? No. I mean, God's law is pretty perfect. It's very self-contained. We all struggle to keep it. It's all impossible for us to keep it. Why would somebody add to the law? Can I say this? It's because when flesh is able to do what we feel is good, we began to glory. We began to take pride in the fact that we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't date girls that do. We began to, within ourselves, you know, get a little prideful and say, that person struggles with this particular sin, but, you know, praise be to the Lord, I don't struggle with that at all. And that's the only reason I can really think that they would begin to uh, throw this on their backs and, and really as a burden take tradition as God's law. I want you to see that the law was given by God, but I also want you to see that the body was given by God. And look in verse 40. Jesus says something here that is very, very unique. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is also within, or within also? You see, Jesus says, the fact of the matter is, guys, God made your body. 
And God ought to have the uh, 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 priority when it comes to you doing things to your body. God gave you your body. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27 tell us about the creation of man. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So, class, let me just ask you tonight, where did your body come from? Let's try that again. Where did your body come from? God. God was the one that created you. God was the one that gifted you this body. But I don't ever think that we ought to get to a place where we are too concerned with our body as far as uh, it becoming an idol or a, our goal in our life to maintain what God has given us. Because at the end of the day, is not our body just flesh? Is not our body going to waste away with this earth? Is not our body going to be burnt up? The Bible tells us in Colossians 1.16, For by Him were all things created and that are in heaven and that are in earth. How many of you have ever rented a car? Boy, am I excited to turn 25. I'm excited to turn 25 because that's when insurance companies recognize me as a good driver instead of a bad driver. I'm excited to turn 25 because when I turn 25, I no longer have to pay a $50 fee every single day I rent a $17 car. I'm excited for that. And many of you have had experience with renter's cars. You, you've often had, you know, where you go out of town and you need to rent one. Many of you work, and, and that's how you get around when you get to your destination. I know when I, I get a rental car, I'm always very intimidated because I don't want to do anything that I'm going to have to pay for. You know, I don't want the, the shopping cart guy at Walmart who's listening to his iPod, not paying attention, running to this little Kia Soul that I rented, this compact $12 car that gets 17,000 miles to the gallon. I don't want him to bump into it and me have to pay for anything that, that I've done. You know, one thing that's never once crossed my mind when I went to get a rental car is I'm going to go take this to the guy down the street and get him to paint a big Dell Earnhardt number 8 on it. Isn't he 88 for you NASCAR fans? Oh, you're not here tonight. You're at the race. Sorry. <laughs> I think Dell Earnhardt's 88. I'm not sure. I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but never in my mind. Y'all are laughing. Please, I, don't come up to me after church. If you know the answer, is it 88? Okay, thank you, Justin. Appreciate that, buddy. Usually what happens is somebody comes up to me after church, Brother Andrew, you were a little off. It's 17. There's not even an 8 in it. Yeah. So I've never once in my life thought about renting my Kia Soul, going down and getting a rainbow stripe painted right down the front of it. You know why? Because it's not mine. It's not mine to do that with. And anything that I do, I'm going to have to answer for, am I not? So why do Christians think it's okay to do whatever they want to with their body? This is at best a rental, folks. I, I dress it up and I try making it look nice. I throw on my shiny shoes. I, I throw on my nice tie. But at the end of the day, I am not this body. I have a soul. 
And I want you to understand that your body was given by God, but your soul was also given by God. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 kind of recaps the creation of man. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You see, this is what separates us from all other created animals. From all other created beings, God breathed into us His very breath and gave us something special, a soul. And that is what will live forever. That is what we have eternal life with, this body. Ah, One day I'll get one much better than this. I don't see how, but it will be better. (laughs) One day I won't have a concave chest. One day my biceps will actually be viewable through a t-shirt. Maybe. You see, one day I'm going to be given a glorified body. This body is not mine. I cannot do with this body what I want. But the soul was given to God, by God to me. And what Jesus is saying here is, you Pharisees have focused so long on cleansing the outside of you that you've forgotten truly what's important and what's special about you. The other, when I was uh, still living at my parents' house, I, I was a bit of a cereal fan. I love cereal, pretty much any type except healthy stuff. Um, give me the stuff with red dye number five. I don't care. It's, You know, that's fine with me. Uh, Captain Crunch never hurt nobody, and neither did Lucky Charms, and and neither did Cookie Crisp, but that was too expensive for us to afford. So we just, if we got that, we got the IGA brand. That was back when Levels was still here. I like the local people that laughed at that. You're like, I remember Levels. That was good. That was a good store. Thank God for Brookshire's and HEB, but I liked Levels pretty well. But I remember that I would always eat cereal, and I would always go into the cabinet, and I would always get the bowl, and Mom did a very well, a very good job of maintaining the cleanliness of these bowls. And, but one day I opened this cabinet, got my bowl out, and I set the bowl on the counter very fast. I went and grabbed the cereal, probably Lucky Charms. I don't specifically remember what type. But I came back to the counter, and as I was pouring it in, there was a caterpillar in the bowl. So I just poured the cereal right on top of it and said, more protein, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I threw the cockro- or the, the caterpillar out. <laughs> Sorry. That was an error. I threw the caterpillar out. Do you think that I continue to use the bowl? No. There's a nasty caterpillar in there. You know, caterpillars aren't pretty till they do the whole butterfly thing. So there's no way I was going to eat out of that bowl. So I threw that bowl in the the dishwasher and said, Mom's going to wash that dish later. She needs to do a better job keeping this house. That's what I'm talking about. And I grabbed me another bowl, and I went on eating my cereal. See, what Jesus is focusing on here is the outside of the bowl or the vessel matters not. It's the inside. You drink out of a cup, you're not concerned about what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And if there's a bug or, uh, for some of us, a hair or whatever it is, you say, no, I ain't going to use that. 
And Jesus says, Pharisees, you focus too long on this fleshly body that makes that is not special at all, and you've omitted the most beautiful thing about you, which is your soul. Christian, how is your soul doing tonight? I mean, we make a great effort to clean ourselves and make ourselves presentable on Sunday. But if you were able to be flipped inside out, and everything that was on the inside of you revealed to every one of us, would you look as good? That was Jesus' concern. And this Pharisee began to keep rituals that really were meaningless. Uh, they didn't mean anything, and he's, he cleaned himself before supper, but none of that mattered because the inward man was filthy. So we looked at a focus on ordered rituals. We move on. A focus on outward righteousness. A focus on outward righteousness. Look in verse 39. This is really why the, the Pharisees were often called hypocrites. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Honestly, one of my favorite uh, chapters in all the Bible is Psalm chapter 51. Dad referred to it this morning. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. David knew something about his inward appearance because if it had been up to Samuel, David would have never gotten chose to be king of Israel. But in, in 1 Samuel, God tells Samuel, Oh, Samuel, everybody's going to look on his outward appearance, but God seeth the inner, inner man, the, the inward appearance. God looks on what's on the inside. And too many times Christians try beautifying themselves when the inside is wicked and fruitless. I was going to school at JCA, and for a while there we had a rule where we had to wear Dickie's pants, like the work pants, but we always wore the khakis. Those do not fit me very well at all. Um, especially in the rear region. They don't fit me very well. Uh, they're very tight. I didn't enjoy them. I would sit down and they would, you know, they'd suck uh, uh, onto my legs. And it was a very strange deal. I didn't like them at all, but we were required to wear them. So because my parents made me, I did it. But one thing I was terrible at was I always left the pins that I carried to school in the pockets. Always. And my mom right now is getting angry at me as I can see her face because she knows this is true. I would always leave pins right here in my pocket. And then my mom, like I said, she's a great housekeeper. She did a good job while I was growing up. And she would always wash my clothes and she would throw those clothes in there. And without any exception, what would always happen is I would have these three dots. Now, I don't know why there was only three. Maybe there's three washing cycles. I don't know. But I would have these three dots right beside each other of ink. And they would, just, they would just well up right there. And so I would look like a goofball the next day I went to school because I had these ink blots right here. You know what would have been silly for my mom to do? To begin knowing that I leave my pens in my pocket, 
It would have been silly for her to put on some type of spot remover before the stains were ever there. What should she have done to avoid this problem? Take the pen out of the pocket. Take what was on the inside out. Because it doesn't matter how long you treat it, how many times you treat it, what was on the inside manifested on the outside. And you don't fix the problem by going in on the outside. You fix the problem by removing what's on the inside. And see, what was hard for Jesus to explain to the Pharisees was, guys, I know you look good. And I know that in Israel's eyes, you are the religious type. You guys have an outward piety that is so strong. You guys look like everybody else ought to look. But your problem is not the way you look. The problem is who you are. When Jesus looks at the man or the woman that you are, is he pleased? Because it doesn't matter what we do on the outward righteousness side of things. Christ is looking for the inner man to be clean. Too many Christians over the course of time think that coming to this altar and trimming some hair or wearing nicer clothes fixes anything. But my prayer for you is that you would, like David, pray the prayer that says, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, look deep within me in places I don't even know I have. Lord, look further in me than even I'm willing to look and show me if there be any wicked way in me. Because God's not concerned about outward righteousness. He's concerned about inward righteousness producing outward fruit. So we see outward righteousness. That's not something we should focus on. And then thirdly, what the Pharisees often, fo- often focused on was a focus on obeying rules. Look in verse 42. Jesus now moves from uh, telling him a little bit about outward righteousness and, and uh, obeying tradition that really... Uh, was not God's word, but in verse 42, verse 43, and verse 44, Jesus gives them a woe. And what I mean by that is, you'll see verse 42 starts off like this. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover judgment the love of God, these ought, ye ha- ought to, these ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. You see, one thing that was very admirable about the Pharisees is that they did a good job at being good. I mean, they were in their position for a real reason. I mean, for the most part, even they did a pretty good job. I mean, even when Paul discusses who he was before salvation, he says, as concerning the law, blameless. How many of us in here can say that tonight? As concerning the law, you, you, you got nothing on me. I, I, I can do it. You see, these Pharisees were good people. They, they, they did things well. And right here in verse 42, Jesus actually tells them something they did extremely well. See, Old Testament, tithe was there. It was given to Abraham. It was given in the Mosaic Law that tithe was a, uh, something that someone should partake in. And, and so what they would do is, Jesus says, you are such good religionists. 
that you even tithe off your herbs. I mean, we, we as Christians struggle with our money. But these guys would go to their garden, would find the stuff that they used to throw into their food and to make their homes smell better, and, and, and these type of things, plants and every little thing. And Jesus says, even the smallest things, you guys are so good, you take a tenth of your herbs and bring them to tithe. But you've missed the spirit of Christianity. You've missed what it truly means to know me. For Christianity is not a a series of rules. It's not a set of guidelines. Christianity is found in a relationship with the Lord. Knowing Him on a personal level. And that's why Jesus says, man, you guys... You guys are so good. You know, you even tithe on your herbs. I mean, uh, the question is not whether net or gross with you guys. The, the, the question is which leaf is 10%. I mean, you guys have got it that down. But what you're missing is the love that you ought to have. You see, God tonight is not wanting Joshua Baptist Church to be better tithers. Well, he is. God is not wanting Joshua Baptist Church to focus on becoming better soul winners. God is not wanting you or anybody in your family to focus on reading your Bible anymore. What God wants you to do is fall in love with Him. And that's it. Let everything else fall into place. Hey, when you love Christ, 10% seems like a very small portion. Hey, when you fall, when you understand what Christ did for you, telling others about Him seems very understandable. Telling others about the gospel that you have so graciously been a partaker of, yeah, no problem, Lord, for I love you, and, and Lord, what you've done for me has been so great. Lord, there's no problem. I'm willing to do whatever you have me to do, Lord, because I love you. And what these men began to focus on was religion and not a relationship. They began to say, okay, my religion says to do this, so that's what I'll do. And maybe if I produce enough good works, I'll impress God. Today there is nothing in you that impresses God, not one thing. You know what impresses God? His Son. And that's it. The only thing that impresses God is that His Son was obedient unto death and humbled himself under our hand. And it is only through the relationship that we've found in him that we have anything to boast of in God. See, Christian, you can't impress him. Is your Christianity based more upon a series of rules? See, I believe fully that that's what the world doesn't understand about Christianity. Is they've got the scope of Christianity, but they have no clue about the spirit of Christianity. I mean, that's why they always say, well, I don't know how you you guys never drink. Andrew, you mean to tell me you've never tasted a drop of that? I don't understand how you could do that. I mean, there are certain drinks that taste pretty good, Andrew. Andrew, you know what I don't understand? I don't understand how you have never smoked any type of marijuana or drugs because, man, they make you feel good. 
I don't understand why, why even in your college days, Andrew, you did not do anything that was, that was just something to have fun, what our world views as fun. But can I say, that's where they're confused. Is because my enjoyment comes from pleasing the Lord. I don't find my enjoyment out of pleasing this fleshly mortal body. I find my enjoyment in knowing that my Lord loves me and that He's pleased with me and that He, uh, in His grace, has allowed me to be a servant of His. You see, Christian, the world often will come in and say, hey, you ought to come do this. Hey, you ought to, you ought to come enjoy this. But I really believe that if you have the right relationship, rules become no issue at all. The Christian who, who begins to buck when something new is installed in the church. You know, like if, if, if we installed a rule that said women need to wear nice dresses on the platform if they're going to sing. And it's the Christian who begins to say, well, I can't believe they would require that of me. That's when you ought to begin to question their relationship. It's the man who, who comes to church but doesn't come to church. I mean, it's the man who comes to church and, and, and is here from the times that we're in church, but is other places to, not, not to be found. That's the man I question his relationship. You see, Christianity is not about rules. The world may think it is, but it's not. It's about a genuine love that the Lord has for us and finding acceptance in that love. So we see, thirdly, a focus on obeying rules. And then, fourthly, a focus on outstanding recognition. Now, this is the second woe that Jesus gives the Pharisees in verse 43. Woe unto you, Pharisees! For ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. For us to understand this verse, we really need to understand what people's paradigm in Israel would have been of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were a group of men that were raised so high in a Jewish perspective that that was what every Jewish man knew they should be in religion. I mean, they had what every man needed. And they knew God on a more personal level than anybody else. They were a Jewish man's ideal of religion. But with that came a little bit of boastfulness, a little bit of pride. Because it was such an elite group to be in. That's why often they would come to Jesus protecting their law, because they were the keepers of the law. That was often why they would come with condemning attitudes towards the Lord, because He was not the, the guideline. He was not the level. He was not the one that everybody should attain to. It was me. And so that's why they had somewhat of a prideful attitude about their religion. And time after time, they were told, man, you've got it. Man, your clothes are nice. Man, you, you, you are what I want to be. So Jesus simply says, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, because you enjoy being promoted. And you enjoy sitting in high seats where everybody is adoring you. Christian, there is nobody in this room tonight that deserves adoration save Jesus Christ. Can me and you make a deal quickly? I want you to help me with something. I want you, if you think a sermon of mine or a sermon of my father's is great, please thank the Lord for it. If you think that someone gets up here and sings a special and they practiced it well and they performed it well and and it touched your heart, if that happens, give the Lord the glory for it. Because it is every person's heart that stands on this platform to not receive any glory or any honor. It is every person's prayer before they come up here that nobody would would enjoy them or enjoy their talent or enjoy their skill, but that the cross of Jesus would be glorified because of their efforts that day. You see, when we become Pharisees, when people begin to tell us we're better than we are, and they come up to us and say, man, that was good. Man, I really, really appreciated that. And to avoid anybody getting a pharisaical attitude, I'm kind of getting it. To avoid that, can you help me and, and thank the Lord for things that touch you? Because I don't want to receive any glory from any word ever preached. What part did I have in this? None. I think there should have been a book of Andrew, but there wasn't. Dad's not found it, and he's searched it more times than I have. You see, I had no part in this. And anything that comes out from this pulpit is only because God gave it. So please, I'm just asking you to avoid having a bunch of people around here saying, Yeah, I'm kind of getting gut. Uh, I, I'm starting to I'm starting to achieve the level of success that I want. To avoid that, please help me and just thank the Lord when something touches you, when something moves your heart. Now I have no problem with you saying, "Amen, that's good." But when we come up to others on a personal level and privately say, "Man, that was something," I don't know if we're building that person in the proper way. And so to avoid any of that. And to avoid having any pharisaical ideas of saying, you know what, they ought to ask me to sing more often because I'm, I'm starting to be profession now. To avoid that, can you help me? And when something touches you, and, and I mean if something genuinely touches you, literally pray, pray a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. You see, because every person that gets up here and sings a song, They selected that song in prayer. Every choir special that's done is meticulously planned out and cared for. And so please, nobody that steps on here should want to to be glorified. All we're trying to do is glorify the Lord. For it is only in Him that we're even here. It is only in Him we have salvation. It is only in Him that we have the local church. 
so pleased, to avoid us getting this, this uh, uh, focus on outstanding recognition. May we just thank the Lord when something touches our hearts. I reminded of Acts chapter 5. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember when Ananias and Sapphira hatched this scheme to sell their land? Because that seemed to be the popular thing at the time. I mean, in Acts chapter 4, what happened was a man by the name of uh, Barnabas sold his land. And, And everybody was like, man, Barnabas just sold his land for the church. And a lot of people sold their lands for the church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that uh, they had all things in common. Every man shared. It was a beautiful picture of the church. Acts chapter 5. And Ananias and Sapphira sold their land. But what they do? They held back a portion of the goods. And they put forth what everybody thought would be full price, but they, and only God, knew it wasn't full price. Can I ask you why did they do that? I don't think it was necessarily because they were greedy. I think it's because they saw the praise and the admonition and the recognition that Barnabas got. And Ananias and Sapphira said, you know, Barnabas isn't a better Christian than us. Sure wouldn't be bad to have my name on a placard. And to avoid any of that, may our motives always be to glorify the Lord. May our motives always be to elevate His majesty and His kingdom and not our own. Proverbs 25 teaches us a little bit about uh, when we are put forth uh, in the presence of a king, stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou should be as put in a lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eye has seen. See, Proverbs teaches us a great lesson how when somebody calls us to a special event, let us esteem ourselves lowly. And if somebody wants to call us up, allow them to call us up and say, hey, come sit by me. That's good if that happens, but may we never have to be told, you know, you don't deserve this chair. Go down. I just believe fully If this church is to accomplish anything for the Lord, the day we begin to focus on men, it will go off the tracks. And the Lord will not be glorified, so the Lord will not bless. I'm I'm afraid I've seen it in other churches, and I just do not want that to happen in this one. Don't allow preaching to be the reason you invite somebody to church. What I mean by that is, I'll just be very honest with you, and this is not to praise my dad, but he's a pretty slick preacher. I mean, this morning, he just balled it up, y'all. I don't mean to get too slangy for you, but that was great. A sacrificial heart, a servant's heart, a sensitive heart. Man, don't we all need that? Well, I know I took notes. Man, that touched me. The matter of, uh, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That is great. But if you invite somebody to church, let it be said, hey, man, come to church with me because our Lord and Savior is going to be preached. And not that Gene Wolfenbarger or Andrew Wolfenbarger is preaching. I just, I, I just want to encourage you. I know we veered off from preaching there temporarily. I know I'm not in your face. And I'm just asking you to help me with something. 
Because I don't want this church to ever become man-focused. I want the focus to simply be on the cross that's right behind me. I don't want it to ever be about me or my dad or anybody that sings a good special. And I don't ever want it to be about a southern gospel singing group coming through here. I want it to be about the one who died for us. So we see the second woe, which was a focus on outstanding recognition. And then finally, number five, a focus on overlaid ruin. A focus on overlaid ruins. Verse 44, I, I'll be honest with you, I learned a great deal in the study of this chapter and this, this scripture passage. Verse 44 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are as graves which appear not. And the men that walk over them are not aware of them. When I, you know, I've heard the verse many, many times. Ye are full of dead men's bones. It's Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. But I didn't really know what that meant. I, I, I just thought that Jesus was telling them that they, they didn't have a living, vibrant spiritual walk. They were full of dead men's bones. The inside of them was dead. But as I studied that, he's not talking about that. What Jesus is talking about is a reference back to Levitical law. It's a reference back to the law in, in Numbers chapter 19, verse 16. The Bible tells us, and that there's about a four-verse, five-verse passage there dealing with someone who comes in contact with a dead body. Numbers 19, verse 16 says, And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields, or a dead body, or a bone of a man, or a grave shall be unclean seven days. As Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, what he's saying is, guys, you think you're helping people, but when people come in contact with you, they see that you're dead. And when they leave, they have been corrupted by knowing you. Could you imagine that condemnation from our Lord? When people come in contact with you, they're worse off than they were before they met you. The Bible's talking here about how when somebody would come up and meet a Pharisee and they would see them and, and they would leave thinking, this is the idea, this is what I should try being, this Pharisee. They would leave and go do that and they were veering off track even more than they were before. Because the idea of religion was not the one he wanted them to have. Christian, can I ask you a quick question? When people come in contact with you day in and day out, whether it's at work or whether it's at Walmart or whether it's on the freeway or wherever it is, are they better off for knowing you? Or are they worse off? I mean, when they see you live your life, and they see you go through the day-to-day -day motions of you. Do they tell that Christ has made an impact in your life? Because what Jesus is talking about is, when people see you, 
they get so much farther from the relationship I want them to have. Are you pushing people with your life into a closer relationship with our Lord? Are you the example that the Lord wants everybody to see? We're almost done. I'm closing now. The other day, I was in a grocery store in like a a 7-Eleven or some type of convenience store like that. I walked up to the counter, and you know, they have several things for you to impulse buy. They've got the five-hour energies. That one gets me often. I don't know why I like the taste of them. It's not necessarily for energy. I just enjoy them, and I'll buy that occasionally. And they've got magazines up there, and the day they start putting hunting magazines up there, that's when we're in trouble. Because like, uh, just give me outdoor life and uh, field and stream. Just throw them all together and I'll take that to Dr. Pepper. Okay? But I was at this uh, little uh, 7-Eleven, and I don't remember where it is, and so please forgive me for that. But I walked up to the counter to check out. You know, they've got the normal five-hour energies, and they've got the candy bars there, and they always do the specials. You know, it's like buy one Snicker bar paid full price for the other snicker bar. What a deal! And so you grab two snicker bars. They've always got the impulse buys. Well, there was something different about this day. Because as I looked to my right, and I, 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 I kind of do think I remember where it was. I think it was the old Easy Mart. The one that quickly turned into a QT and quickly shut down. Y'all remember that? Because I think it was, you can't get that close of a logo. Anyway, but I walked up to the counter, and I looked to my right, and there was these suckers. They had all different colors. They had red, they had yellow, they had blue, they had green. They were colorful. It's something catch the eye. They had the normal white stick going into the sucker, but the one thing that was different about these is there was a scorpion in the center of them. Please, Brother JT, show everybody what I'm talking about. It's these. These are a legitimate product. I literally saw these at, I really think it was the Easy Mart down there. I walked up, you know, I've got my Dr. Pepper and my Budweiser, and, uh, I've, you know, I've got my stuff there. And Some of you didn't even catch that. That's how tuned out y'all are. And I, I've got my stuff, and I look at that, and I'm like, sir, does, do people buy these? Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. They buy them like crazy. America is, has no hope. We are starting to buy insects covered in candy. Maybe revival's not possible. You know, I, I began to wonder, what kind of a fool would buy this? As I was doing research and trying to get this picture, you know there's candy-covered crickets? They sell them, they dry them out, and then they cover them, and they're like, we think it tastes like chocolate-covered popcorn. Except it's a chocolate-covered cricket. You know, they have maggots. Oh, now we just, we veered way off course. I'm sorry. Everybody's like, everybody's making their way to the bathroom. (laughs) You see, I look at this, and... There's no way I would try that. I've been stung by a scorpion one time in my life, and it was the most pain I've ever felt. I've broken bones. I've torn uh, hamstrings. I've done all that. 
And for a brief moment, it felt like somebody had lit a match on my toe. And people are buying them in suckers. I I don't want to take Scripture out of context, but I kind of believe Jesus was talking a little bit about like this. Saying, Pharisee, on the outside, you're attractive. You're sweet. People look at you and say, hey, that looks good. But when they find out what's on the inside, they're very disappointed. And you are not at all the ideal of religion. You are exactly the opposite of what I want people to be. You focus on rules, and yet you do not know me at all. Christian tonight, I hope that we are more focused on what's on the inside than what's on the out. Because what's on the inside always makes its way out. And then when we clean up and we dress up this ugly man on the inside, when we get put in a moment of heat, like when we smash our finger with a hammer, or somebody cuts us off in the interstate, what's on the inside always makes its way on the outside. Tonight, when's the last time you focused on who you are inside? I mean, I don't care whether you're wearing pants. I don't care whether you're wearing a bikini right now. I'm worried about what's on the inside. And I really believe Jesus is too.